Hey, thank you for tuning into our podcast today. My name is Derek Puckett. I'm the lead pastor at Renewal Church Chicago. If you want to know more information about us, you can go to our website, RenewalChicago.com. I pray that this podcast today is a blessing and encouragement to your soul. Good morning, Renewal family. My name is Derek Puckett. If you're new with us, I'm a lead pastor here at Renewal Church of Chicago. I just want to say welcome to you, and I can't wait to meet you next weekend. So come back next weekend. Bring your family, bring your friends. It's going to be an awesome Sunday, and I'm looking forward to all this, all God's going to do throughout this fall. It's been a good time of rest for me, good time of studying, and my family, we've got away a little bit. And I want to thank you for praying for us, because we need you all, and I'm thankful that you guys gave us some time away, and, and I can't wait to get back, because God is up to something, and I can't wait to experience all of it with you throughout this fall. Amen? Well, look, I know I'm out this Sunday, but I got a good friend of mine who came in. He's filling the pulpit for me. He's been here before, so if you have been here, you might have recognized him. His name is Brandon Woodard. He's a a friend of mine, but also a guy that I've had the pleasure of being able to pour into, disciple, and I'm thankful to God to be a part of his life. He's now planning a church in Cincinnati. It's called Reconciled Community Church. It's a multi-ethnic, multi-generational church, gospel-centered church just like ours. And if you've been at Renewal, you know that our heart is not only to just plant this church in the city of Chicago and impact this city, but we want to impact the world. We always talk about sending people out. We want to impact the world. So here it is. We get the chance to be blessed by this brother and just learn about all that's happening in Cincinnati. And hopefully we'll be able to come alongside him and support him, pray for him and just partner with him as God does something amazing in Cincinnati. So won't you all just welcome him as he comes to the stage with me? Well, good morning, Renewal. How are we doing this morning? Good, good, good. Well, I am excited to be here. Um, It's always a joy to come and fill the the pulpit for the bishop. I know y'all don't call him that, but we call him the bishop. Um, DP is a good friend of mine, and I'm just thankful for the opportunity to be back. I would say my home is Chicago, and so we are thankful for that. I'm thankful uh, for just all of the time that he has invested in me. Um, In a lot of ways, me planning a church in Cincinnati uh, all started with a random phone call from Derek some years ago to come to Memphis. And if you know anything about Derek, he's one of the most persuasive people that you will ever meet. Um, and he was one of those people that were integral in getting me to Cincinnati, uh, to Memphis and then uh, fanning that, that flame of uh, church planting for me to go back home. And so I'm thankful for him. I'm thankful for his lovely wife. Um, they're just an amazing family. Let's give it up for just who they are, your pastor. Just quickly, my friend. As you said, um, I'm planting a church, Reconcile Community Church. It's in Cincinnati. Um, It's fun, church planting. I heard one amen, so that's what I'm talking about. Uh, We are in a neighborhood called Pleasant Ridge. It's one of the most diverse neighborhoods in Cincinnati. And we just felt that the Lord was leading us there. We wanted to, in, in short, we wanted to be the fulfillment of the beloved community that Dr. King talked about. As we all remember him as an activist, he was also a preacher first. And as he would talk about this community uh, that he would see, not only was it a community that was just for little kids, black kids and white kids to be friends, but we just had a sneaky suspicion that he was peering into heaven and talking about the church. And so in Cincinnati, we just wanna be a safe place for all people to encounter Jesus, build deep relationships and be empowered to reach the city. And by God's grace, we're getting to see a little bit of heaven here on earth. 
And it's all in part from partnerships and friendships like Derek and Renewal. I'm thankful for your prayers. I'm thankful for the support. You may not even know me, but I know you all have been praying about reaching the world and one of those prayers uh, was coming our way. And so we're thankful for you all. Um, I am married. Um, I have a beautiful wife, Kristen. We've been married six years. Uh, you see that picture, I think, above me. Uh, we have four kids. So if you're asking where my wife is, we not traveling with all of that. Uh, the oldest is five. So Brooklyn is five, Brandon is four, Braxton will be two in a couple weeks, and Braylon will be one, and we done. That's it. So that what you see is what you get, but uh, <laughs> she sends her love. Um, she wishes she could be here, but it's too many of them in the airport. It's just crazy. Anyways, let's jump to the text. We're going to be in Luke chapter 15 in Luke chapter 15. It's a familiar passage of scripture. Uh, if you've been at Renewal, I'm pretty sure DP has already, um, Pastor Derek has already preached on it. Um, but it's a familiar text that I wanna draw us to, the, to our attention this morning. And one of the things that I would encourage you uh, to read it in its entirety, but not only that, don't check out we know that the Lord's, the word of God is active and sharper than any double-edged sword, meaning that you can read the same passage over and over and over again and get something new out of it. And so my hope and prayer is that the Lord would meet us during this time. I wanna read the passage of scripture. It's a little bit long, but we're in church, y'all. So I think it's cool for us to read the scriptures. I'll pray and then we'll jump right into it. Luke chapter 15, I'll be picking up in verse 11. And I'm reading out of the CSB, so it'll be a little bit different, but same message. It says this, he also said a man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, give me the share of the estate I have coming to me. So he distributed the assets to them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered together all that he had and traveled to a distant country where he squandered his estate in foolish living. And after he had spent everything, a severe famine struck that country, and he had nothing. Then he went to work for one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into the field to feed pigs. He longed to eat his fill from the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one would give him anything. When he came to a census, underlined that phrase, he said, how many of my father's hired workers have more than enough food? and how I am dying of hunger. I'll get up and I'll go to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired workers. So he got up, he went to his father, but while the son was still a long way off, his father saw him, and was filled with compassion. He ran through his arms around his neck and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father told his servants, quick, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Then bring the fattened calf and slaughter it. And let's celebrate with the feast. Because this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate very word of God. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this opportunity that we have to come into this place to hear from you. 
Father, I'm asking now that you would open up our hearts and our minds to receive what it is that you would have for us on this day. Lord, I know that there are, are those who have come in here today with heavy hearts. Some of us have come in here today with joyful hearts, and some of us have come in here and, and we don't know where we are. But we're, no matter where we are, Lord, I pray that you would meet us exactly where we need you most. Father, I'm asking and praying that you would hide me behind your cross so that people wouldn't be impressed with me, but they would be impressed with you because you're the hero. And so, Father, speak. We're listening. We're sitting in anticipation, knowing that we uh, want to leave this place better than when we came. But, Father, do the hard work now, we pray. It's in your son's name. Amen. Amen. I grew up in a small little neighborhood in Cincinnati called Lincoln Heights. It's the hood. One of the things that you know about uh, just growing up in my neighborhood is if you wanted to be the, the most popular person in our neighborhood, what you had to do was have the new game system that was coming out that year. If you could get your hands on, if it was a Nintendo GameCube, Sega Genesis, Sega CD, Xbox, whatever it was for that young person, if they wanted to be the most popular kid in our neighborhood, you had to get your hands on that game system first. Because if you did, then everybody would come to your house. I was about 13 years old, and I can remember it like it was yesterday. I think it was the, the, the Nintendo GameCube or something like that was coming out, a horrible gaming system, but, but I just needed to get it first. And so I would tell my mom, all the time, look, I don't care if you don't get me anything else for the rest of the year, as long as you get me this game system, I'm straight. But it seemed like she wasn't listening to me. And so I just kept badgering her and badgering her, hey man, I need this game system, man, I need you to get this for me. You don't understand, there's, there's, there, I need this system. Now what I'm not telling you is that, man, I'm a preteen, and we all remember that. Some of us may have preteens in here, you, you know, what it was like when you turned 13. You know, you, you just knew that you knew how to run your own life. You, you, you're not listening to your parents. You don't care about what they're saying because deep down, you know what's better for you than them. They're too old. You don't know the stresses that I'm going through. You don't understand that my clothes gotta look a certain way or man, they gonna, they gonna talk bad about it. You just have no idea how to live this life. That was me. So as I'm asking my mom for this game system, I'm simultaneously acting a plum fool. I have run away to my grandma's house, come back. I, I mean, she asked me to clean the room, I make it dirtier, like I'm doing everything that I shouldn't be doing, yet I'm still expecting her to get me this system. Birthday pass, no game system. Do good in school, no game system. And I'm getting to a point where I just don't think that she loves me anymore. I tell this story and we all laugh because we understand what it's like when we go our own way, yet we expect something from someone. We, we understand what it's like to say, look, uh, I got this part, I just need you to come through on your end. Spiritually, we've all been like me when I was 13. We've all at some point or another, I don't care if you in a sweet spot with the Lord right now and you blessed and highly favored, I don't care if you're in the midst of a storm, we've all 
all found ourselves just like I was, saying to God in so many words, I got this. I just need you to bless me. I need you to answer this prayer. I need you to come through and reconcile this relationship. And simultaneously, we act a fool. But the crazy thing about this story, the crazy thing about the gospel is that God still comes after us. And in crazy ways, he still answers prayers. Have you ever just taken an account of all the times that God told you to go right and you went left? You asked for something and him come through. It's mind boggling. It makes no sense because we don't deserve it. And it's because of this relationship that we have with this God who loves us recklessly that he then turns around and tells us that we should love just like he loves us. I got a problem with that though. Because just like you and me, there are people in our lives that have wronged us. There are people in our lives who have cut us deeply. Some of us in here today have been broken by other people and our knee-jerk reaction is to withhold love is to build a wall, is to cancel them, is to move on. But this text is showing us that we don't get that luxury. If we are called by God, if we've put our faith, hope, and trust in Jesus Christ, this text teaches us that the same reckless love that God has demonstrated towards us, we're supposed to demonstrate it to us other people. That, that's the whole sermon in a sentence. If, if there's nothing else you get, believers are to live reckless life, this reckless love, um, love style because the Father did it for you. Because he did it for you. But, but why is this love reckless? Why, why is God's love so reckless? Luke 15 shows us this. Before we can get into Luke 15, though, I got to do a little bit of legwork. If you let me do that, I, I can get to, get to the good stuff. What we see when Luke 15 opens up, Jesus is with a bunch of scribes, and he's also with some of his disciples, and he's also with some people who would have just been around. Now, what he's trying to get them to understand is how God's economy works, why God will rejoice and go after everyone. And so he begins this, this string of three parables. The first one, he tells them about this shepherd who goes out, he has a hundred sheep, 99 are with him, but one gets led astray. The text tells us that he puts those 99 in a safe place and he goes and risks his life to get that one sheep. And when he gets it, they throw a party. And what he was trying to get them to understand is everyone is valuable in God's eyes. There's no write-offs. God is going to celebrate with the person who's already saved, and he's going to also celebrate with that person that you don't think deserves God's love because everybody is valuable in his sight. But they still didn't get it. And so he gave them another parable. He told them about a woman who had 100 coins. She had the 99 saved up safe place, but she lost one coin. And it tells us that she literally flipped her house upside down. You know how it is when you lose your keys and you tear your house up. That's what she did. She found that coin and it's crazy. It's a little overkill, 
but she threw a party. But why would she do this? Jesus was trying to get them to understand everybody's valuable. Everybody's valuable. Valuable so much so that, man, I will do whatever I have to do to find them. They still didn't get it. And so he gets to the heart of it and he shares this story about these two sons. And what he's about to unpack for them is just how radical God's love would be. And so we open up our text and it shows us first the anatomy of a selfish life. Why is God's love so reckless? We have to look at the younger brother first. Shows us the anatomy of a selfish life. Text opens and it tells us there are three characters in this parable. There's an older brother that we won't talk about. There's a younger brother and then there's a father. It says that this younger brother comes to his father and he says, give me my inheritance. Many of us understand what an inheritance is. It's the valuables that are left behind by a loved one and they're bequeathed to whoever it may be. In Jewish culture, there was a high premium on giving uh, the inheritance to the sons. But the only caveat is, in order to receive that inheritance, the person must be dead. And so essentially what this younger brother is telling this dad is, I wish you were dead, just give me what you owe me. This is the anatomy of a selfish life. It's always about you. You, you don't care about the relationship. You only care about what you can get out of it. Scholars would say that this is none other than the doctrine of total depravity on display. Meaning that, man, in our, the deepest recesses of our soul, we are fundamentally broken. We're set up on just a, on faulty ground. We're knee-jerk, our knee-jerk reaction is bent towards selfishness. It's why Isaiah would go on to say, Man, it doesn't matter how good your deeds are, it's like polluted rags. It's because deep down we're selfish. Because deep down we're thinking about what can we get out of the deal. This is the anatomy of the selfish life. It's always about us. It's the same thing that happened in Genesis chapter three. Adam and Eve had everything, but they wanted more. That they wanted to have all of the benefits devoid of the relationship. As God moved toward them, they moonwalked backwards. Because they just wanted what he had, not the relationship. It, it, it's, it's, similar to, it's similar to this idea of friends with benefits. You're not really in it for the relationship. You're in it for what you can get. And we all, at some point or another, have been like this younger brother. Maybe even in some of our relationships now. We're only in a relationship because we know that it gives us access to something else. Maybe the friendships that we have, if we were to canvas our lives and we were to be honest, they're literally just a means to an end. And spiritually speaking, if we were to ask ourselves the question, why are we in a relationship with the Father? 
Is it just for fire insurance? Is it just because you get all of the spiritual blessings in the heavenly places? Is it because he will answer your prayers? If it's anything besides just the relationship, we're suffering from a selfish life. This younger brother came to his father and literally told him, I don't need you. But not only that, secondly, we see the result of the selfish life. Result of the selfish life. The text goes on, and this is wild. I don't know if this has ever blown your mind. The father actually gives him what he wants. Meaning that simultaneously, as he's giving this younger brother and the older brother the inheritances, he is broke. The dad gives everything of himself. This younger brother takes everything and he drives to Sin City and he blows everything. I mean everything. The text tells us that he's not just broke, but he's broke broke. Like he ain't just, you ever been so broke that you look at your bank account and you just pray, just Lord, make a way. You, you, you thought you had $250 in there and it's negative five and you're like, Lord, I just, you just, there's just this deep brokenness on the inside where you're like, Lord, I just, I need a hug. That's how broke he was. The text would literally tell us if we were to look at it, he wasn't just broke physically. He would have been broke in a real sense, holistically, spiritually, emotionally, and physically broke. And it's interesting, Jesus doesn't mince words here. He lets us know just how far gone this younger brother is. It says that he took a job in a faraway country and he's literally tending to pigs. We, we miss this because we don't understand Jewish culture that well. Let me let you in on something. They don't do nothing with pigs. They can't stand pigs. In fact, if you were around a pig or touched a pig, you would be ceremonially unclean. They don't do that. They also don't do stuff, you know, they don't really play well with Gentiles. <laughs> they tell them, look, hey, you don't, if there's one place that you don't need to be, it's in their land. We, we, we will walk around Gentile area. But this younger brother finds himself in the very place that he never thought he would be, doing the very things that he never thought he would do. And this is the result of a selfish life. You will find yourself broken. You will run to things for temporal satisfaction like this younger brother did. He thought that his inheritance would literally scratch where his soul itched, and it didn't. He kept running to the things and they kept letting him down to the place where he just kept being broken down further and further and further and further. So there was nothing left. What did he run to? Tim Keller would call them idols. Any person, place, or thing, any unauthorized now that takes the place of God. And what we know about idols is that they, under, they overpromise and underdeliver. It don't matter how much money you have, it'll never be enough. If you're looking for satisfaction from people, 
you'll never get enough of it. If you're looking for your value and your worth in the job that you have, the moment that you are let go, you're crushed because they overpromise and underdeliver. It's the reason why one of the, the Proverbs will say, don't drink from broken cisterns. If you break, drink from broken cisterns, you will end up thirsty again. And if you keep chasing these things, trying to get value and satisfaction and worth in these broken cisterns, you'll find yourself being broken more, more, more. There's no hope. And he finds himself in this place of utter devastation. I don't know who you are. In a room this size, there's someone in here. You've been chasing it. You've been chasing the allure that this idol has put in front of you, that carrot that is out in front of you. I want to let you know that you will never catch it. And if you keep up on that trajectory, you'll find yourself in a place of brokenness that is so deep. You'll find yourself in places that you never thought that you would be in. You'll find yourself doing things that you never thought you would do. All because you're running to temporal pleasures instead of thinking about eternity, thinking about what's to come. Let me see if I can make it plain. Pastor Derek and I have a mentor, um, and this mentor loves golf. He loves golf so much that, I mean, any vacation he got or any preaching opportunity that he ever got, he used to sneak in time where he could go to the golf course. This man loves golf. And so one of the members of the church that we were at um, get, got him some tickets to, I can't remember if it was a PGA Open or Augusta or something like that. I'm not a big golfer. I sold my golf clubs because I'm horrible. But he got these tickets to this practice round. It was on a Thursday, and so he was excited. So he flew down, he got there in time, and you know who he was looking for. He was looking for Tiger Woods. Before Tiger Woods fell, you know, when he was like killing it. And so he gets there, he sees Tiger Woods, and he finds a good spot, and he's watching Tiger chip these balls onto the green. And Tiger, like with surgical precision, he's, he's chipping the ball, and it's landing, boom, surgically, right same spot, bam, bam, bam. And you know, Tiger's doing the fist, you know, the little fist bump, and he's, he's high-fiving his caddy. But our mentor starts to get frustrated because it seems like Tiger's missing something. He's hitting the ball, he's chipping it well, but it's landing about 20 yards away from the pin placement. And so it begins to incense our mentor to the point where he blurts out, what are you doing? And it was at that moment that another person that was sitting around spectating it turned around and said, you must not understand how this works. You see, in the PGA tournament, there are three days. Today is Thursday. The real fun doesn't start until Friday, but it goes Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. So today doesn't really matter that much, but the other thing you don't understand is that the pin placements change. And so where the pin placement is on Thursday, it won't be on Sunday. And so what Tiger must understand is that on Sunday, that pin placement must be where the very place where he's chipping this ball at. And so Tiger is putting, he's chipping today with Sunday in mind. 
Friend, if we were to canvas your life, if I was to take out your, you know, your, your calendar, if I was to look at your bank statements, if I was to look at your friendships and look at your life in its totality, would it show me that you are living for the Thursdays of life? Or are you living in such a manner with Sunday morning in mind? Don't believe the hype that there's this idea that you can just live your best life now and devoid of tomorrow or that, man, you can only live once, so just live it out. No, there are implications on what you do right now that lasts for eternity. We are to live with Sunday morning in mind. We're to live with eternity in mind. It may mean that we have to go through some stuff now and that's okay because in the end, we get a perfect relationship with the Father. But then lastly, and I'm out your hair, we see God's reckless love on display. We see God's reckless love on display. The story ends, and it's interesting. It says that in the midst of this man, literally, I mean, just learn to read your Bible in color. This, this man literally is probably like, uh, about to eat this slop. Like, and all of a sudden, he comes to a census. If I, was in my, if I was in my church, we'd be jumping over pews. He came to his senses. If you ever want to know how much God loves you, never rush past the fact that you didn't open up your own eyes. According to Ephesians chapter 2, we were all dead. Last time I checked, dead people don't realize that they are dead. It takes something outside of that dead person to revive them again. And that's God's love on display because he didn't have to do that. According to Romans chapter 3 verse 10, there are none righteous. No, not one. Even on our best day, we don't deserve for God to open up our eyes. But yet and still, he does it. But God, I love Ephesians chapter 2 verse 4. But God, God opens up our lives as a testament to show us that I love you. And this text shows us that in the midst of his mess, in the midst of utter brokenness, God opens up his eyes. His senses are there. What am I doing? But then did you catch it? Look back at the text. His eyes are open and he begins to put his business plan into place. I see I jacked up here, but I do know that, man, if I can get back good with my father, I'll, I'll just work my way back with him. I'll admit that I messed up, but my business plan is put me out in the field with the higher hands. I, I'll work my way back into your good graces. Could it be that that's just like us? God opens up our eyes, we understand fundamentally that we are sinners, that we have gone astray, and our knee-jerk reaction is to say, let me white-knuckle this thing. I, 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 I'm sorry that I messed up, God, but look, I promise, look, I'm gonna read my Bible, man, I'm gonna come to church, I'm gonna come to our community groups, I'm gonna even serve on Sunday, I'm gonna give some of my money, Lord, I, I will work myself back in your good graces. But I love Ephesians chapter two. Ephesians chapter two, one of, my, uh, one of my preaching heroes said, for every New Testament point, there's an Old Testament picture. In this case, the, the picture 
of Ephesians chapter 2 is Luke chapter 15. Because according to Ephesians chapter 2, it says, we're saved by grace, not by works, so that no man may boast. Follow me. This young man comes limping back to his father, and I love it. It says that while he was a far way out, meaning that it probably was just a silhouette of who he was, his father saw him. That's good news. It shows us that the father never left where he was sitting. The moment that that son left, he sat in anticipation for his son to come back. He didn't forget about him. He anticipated his return. And I don't know who I'm talking to. If I was to ask you, if you were to sit face to face with God, what would his reaction be of you? If you think anything else but satisfied, loved, and excited to see you, you've missed the gospel. Because what it shows us, just like this father, he waits for us. He's waiting for us. He longs to be with you because of what Jesus Christ has done. And not only that, but it says that the father runs after his son. Jewish men don't run. It's embarrassing. But this father says, I will embarrass myself because I love my son. Can you imagine how embarrassing it would have been for the person, the, the creator of the universe to subjugate themselves to the very crucifixion and humiliation of the creation that he created? How embarrassing is that? To be mocked and spit at, to be beaten to a pulp by the very thing you created. But I'm just crazy enough to believe that when we get to heaven and we ask Jesus, would you do it again? He'll say, I'll do it every day and twice on Sunday because I love you. So he embarrasses himself to show you how much he loves you. It doesn't make sense. He waits for you. That's why God says, Jesus says in so many words in Revelation chapter three, I stand and I knock, meaning I'm just gonna keep knocking until you open the door. I'm not going nowhere because I love you. He grabs his son and look at what the son does. The son starts his business plan. Remember, I messed up. But he never, ever, ever gets to the second half of that. Before he can finish and say, but I will work myself into your good graces, the father shuts him up and fully restores him. It's, it's amazing. The text is amazing. This is God's radical love on display because he not only restores his son, but he restores him fully. He puts sandals on his feet to tell people he's not a slave. He puts a ring on his finger to say he's royalty. But then not only that, he puts a coat over him and says, no, but this is my son, which begs the question. Remember I told you the father gave everything that he had. So where did he get this stuff from? Some scholars will say it would have been his very clothes that he gave his son to prove to everybody else how much he loved this boy. Don't get it twisted. God gave the most expensive gift any person could ever give. He gave his son, as some of the old preachers will say, he emptied out heaven for you because he loves you. And he says, it's because of this reckless love that I have demonstrated to you that I now charge you 
to go love someone else like that. So friends, you've, you've heard the story. You, you've, you've been reminded of how God has loved you deeply. The question then becomes, who do you need to love deeply? Who is it that you need to re-examine? Who is it that you need to be like Jesus and love a little more? But I get it. Before I leave, I know, I know what you're thinking. I've been watching all of y'all faces since I started this sermon. I get it. You want to know what happened with me in that game system, don't you? I know it. So Christmas comes and I'm trying to figure out if she's going to get me anything. And I don't think she is. I go down the steps and I'll never forget it. I walk down there and I'm looking under the tree and there are four boxes under the tree. I'm thinking they're sweaters. I open up the first one, it's that game system. I open up the second one, it's all of the games that I ever wanted with this game system. The third box was the controller so that I could actually invite my friends over to play instead of them watching me play the game. But then the third, the fourth box threw me off because, you know, we were spoiled. So we didn't have like the high, the real nice TVs where it had the red, yellow, and white where you could plug in. So you would have to go buy this adapter cord. Usually what would happen is I would get a game system and have to just look at it because I couldn't play it until I saved the money to get the adapter. But my mom went out of her way and got that adapter piece too. And I just asked her, why did you do this? And you know what she told me? It's because I love you. It's because I love you. And that's the same thing God says to us every single time we go astray. And he still comes through. It's because I love you. Who do you need to say that to? Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for this opportunity that we have to come to you, to be reminded of how much you've loved us. It doesn't make sense, but because you've loved us so recklessly, Lord, we can love others. Father, I ask and I pray that if there's someone here today who doesn't know you, someone who, who uh, man, who's been trying to live this life on their own, Lord, I pray, Lord, that the gospel had been clear enough for them to understand that there's nothing that they can do. It's all been done through Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, I'm asking and praying that whoever it may be, that you'll give them the courage enough to ask, what must I do to be saved? And for all of us in this room, who've put our faith, hope, and trust in Jesus Christ, who may have forgotten how much you've loved us, probably put up walls. Lord, I ask and I pray that we would come to you repenting, asking that you would forgive us, knowing that you can empower us to love people the way you've loved us. Lord, give us opportunities to really live out the gospel in our day-to-day lives through how we love one another. Father, I ask and I pray that we wouldn't just leave this moment with just more knowledge and warm feel-goods, but Lord, that we would leave this place truly transformed and changed. That this would be our calling card, that we would lead with love, even if at times it means it hurts. We thank you for this opportunity. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen and amen. Thank you.
Thanks again for listening to our podcast today. I pray again that it was a blessing and encouragement to your soul. And I hope to see you at one of our services at 10 a.m. Take care. God bless you. Mm-hmm.